Welcome to the Northeast Community Church Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to know more about us, visit us on the web at necommunity.church. We are in a series that is accompanying a small group, I mean a life group, uh, lessons. And so it's still not too late if you have not already uh, participated or signed up for a live group, you still can sign up. You can go to our website. You can click on connect, go to groups, and you can find the list of groups that are available. Um, and they are directly tracking with the sermons that are taught here on Sunday morning. I said last week that this is the appetizer, but you go deeper on uh, whatever respect the small uh, life group night um, that is, and you can go deeper into the word. And so please take advantage of that. If you can get that first uh, graphic on the screen, um, we're circling our teaching around the concept of no love serve, which is also our mantra here at Northeast Community Church. And we say that knowing God is learning to trust him. And we're still in the learning, I mean, the, the, the knowing module of learning to trust God. Uh, last week, we talked about learning to trust him through reading his word and, and, and correctly uh, engaging with his word. And today we're going to shift uh, just a little bit and we're going to talk about the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Um, I would be lying if uh, I told you that prayer is not a struggle. That prayer is not a struggle. Um, I think often we think we know about prayer and we don't really know the fullness of what prayer is. I think we all have a piece of it. We, uh, we approach God with it, but we don't know the fullness of what prayer is. And so I hope today to challenge our thought a little bit about what prayer is. And listen, I am not trying to be the subject matter expert on prayer today. There has been volumes of books written on prayer and you could spend the rest of your life reading books on prayer. And I believe that you will only be touching the tip of the iceberg. I love Dr. Tony Evans. Any other people like Dr. Tony Evans in the room? Dr. Evans told a joke, and I like it, so I'm going to share it with it. But I make sure that I get credit where credit is due. I heard it from Dr. Evans. And there were two friends, and they were bantering about theology and about what they knew about God. And one of the friends looked at the other and said, man, I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. I bet you $10 you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. And so the one friend said, I'll take that bet. And so he began to recite the Lord's Prayer. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. The other friend said, man, I thought you wouldn't have known it. Went to his pocket and gave him $10. The joke goes that often we think we know about prayer, and we think we know about prayer based upon what other people say about prayer, but we haven't really engaged with God in the true prayer that God would want us to pray, the true type of prayers that God would want us to pray. And so hands down, one of the most common questions I'm asked as a pastor is, what difference does prayer make? What difference does prayer make? You see, our prayer life is directly correlated with our theological understanding of who God is and what prayer means. And so if you talk to a person about prayer, you can see their theological viewpoints of God based upon their understanding of, of prayer. And so 
The most common question I'm asked is, what difference does prayer make? It's usually followed up by, after all, God's just going to do what God wants to do anyway. And if we're being honest in the room, some of us feel that. Why pray? Because God's just going to do what God's going to do anyway. Why waste effort? Why put my all into it? Why do the things that Jesus told us to do concerning prayer? Why do the things that the Scripture tells us in the parables about prayer, about continue to ask, continue to seek, continue to knock when my prayers aren't answered? Why would I put myself through that when God is just going to be, and we won't say it to his face, but God's going to be masochistic and just do what he wants to do anyway? Does my prayer impact God's decisions? Does my prayer change God's will? And so most of us would have those questions, and I say there it's a valid question. And we're going to address that today. We'll also look at some imperatives in prayer based on Scripture. And again, like I said, this won't be an exhaustive view of prayer, but I think this will get us going. It'll get us moving in the right direction in regards to prayer. But before we delve seriously into the topic, what does prayer look like for you? Some of you may be thinking, does God change his mind based upon my prayer? And the quick answer to it is no. God does not change his mind. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. He does not change his mind based upon your prayers. But those of who ask those questions, I would say that we have a strong leaning if we would just tap into it correctly towards what Dr. Tim Keller calls kingdom-centered prayers. Kingdom-centered prayers. You see, prayer is multifaceted. And those of us who think in those ways, we have this kingdom-centered mindset, if it's used properly, that I want to pray according to what God says to pray, therefore something will change based upon what God has said. So it's kingdom-centered. My prayers are kingdom-centered. Other of us will pray communion-centered prayers. Communion-centered prayer. That means fellowship with me and God. And there's a lot of people in the room right now. Your prayer life, you feel like, is your prayer life. It's your connection with God, and it is. That's a part of it. It's your connection with God, and you pray concerning the things that concern you. And so when you're going through tough times, you pray. When you're going through not-so-tough times, maybe you pray, maybe you don't. But the idea of it is that you look at prayer as a way to change you, not necessarily to impact God's kingdom, but to change you. And listen, neither one of those thoughts is wrong. It's not an either-or, but it's a both-and. I'm going to say that again. It's not an either-or, but it's a both-and. When we talk about prayer, we're talking about this vast thing that has these many facets to us. Yes, you should be praying to God about your circumstances, the things that are going on in your life, but you also should be praying, God, your will be done. When Jesus' disciples came to him, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus taught them to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're going to get into that today. That earth is a representation of heaven when the kingdom is being imposed on popular culture. Earth is a representation of heaven when God is being glorified. 
We're going to get into some science fiction type stuff. If you're any science fiction nerds in the day, I'm not going to build a theology around it, but we're going to get into some stuff. Because I think prayer is utterly important to our life. And so let's not oversimplify the experience. Scriptures candidly tell us that we need to pray. But why do we wrestle with this? Why do we wrestle with prayer? Can we be honest and transparent for one minute? Can we take the mask of spirituality off? Most of us struggle in prayer. I'm quoting a lot of pastors that I look up to today. Uh, Charles uh, 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 Swindoll says, the scary thing about ministry is that you can get good at doing it. The scary thing about walking with God is you can get good at doing the external things that make it look like you're walking with God, but yet on the inside you know that you're not doing the things that God will call you to do. You're not uh, walking in the space that God will call you to walk in. And a lot of us have prayerless lives. Prayerless lives. I can tell you, I've never prayed so much uh, before, and you know, some of you guys know I didn't go to like, you know, straight out of high school, go to seminary, became a pastor. I wasn't on that route. I was in the corporate world for, 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 for decades, and then I became a pastor. And I've never prayed as much as I pray now as a pastor. So I understand I have an advantage. Because <laughs> life be tough. Life was tough before I became a pastor. But when you're executing and trying to do God's will, you be like... God. Like, I've been good at a lot of stuff in my life. But this pastor thing, (laughs) you see a direct correlation of the things that you do are contingent and dependent upon God. Dependent upon God. Now, I'm being transparent right now. This is a wrestling match for me because I'm good at stuff. I'm smarter than the average bear. But when it comes to kingdom stuff, it feels like, and I believe it to be so, that kingdom stuff is counterintuitive. Like, God is calling me to do, like, God, how can that equal this? And so let me just go over here and do this. And I find myself when I go and do certain things and I bump my head and I get to a place where I'm like, I'm in, 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 in high grass right now. I call, my, I call out to God and say, God, help. And I believe many of us in this room today, we have a prayerless life because we haven't fully submitted our life to God. You see, we can have a now lay me down to sleep prayer and call it the Lord's prayer. And I stand in contradiction to the Lord's prayer and uh, uh, that what we historically call the Lord's prayer. I don't think it was the Lord's prayer at all. It was the Lord teaching the disciples how to pray. There's evidence in it because he said, forgive us our trespasses. God never trespassed. Jesus never trespassed. And so he's given us a formula to prayer. And so if you turn in your Bibles with me, some of you might be thinking we're going to the Lord's Prayer. No, we're going to bypass that. And we're going to go straight to James 5, 13 through 16. Because I believe that God is teaching us to pray, to pray based upon some challenges 
that we saw in the first century church. And if anybody's read the book of James, you know James don't mix words. <laughs> I think we've had too many Sunday schools lessons and with flanagraph that let us think that Jesus is just this happy-go-lucky kind of dude, and you can just come and you can just fumble around and do what you want to do, and Jesus is going to be okay with that. Now, listen, this is not a matter of salvation. If you heard me preach before, you know I'm not talking about salvation. But the Bible does tell us that when we belong to him, he chastises those who belong to him. Like any good parent, any good parent, you see him in the grocery store. We talk about him. You chastise those you love. Now, your method of chastisement might not be my method of chastisement, but based upon what you feel is right for that child, you get that child on the corrective path. And I believe that prayer is designed to get us on that corrective path. So forgive me if I lay a little bit of groundwork. It's a mixed room today. I don't know who all was in here. And so uh, if it seems a little elementary, I apologize. But first we need to understand. I'm sorry, Sylvia, I got uh, the, 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 the slides out of order. First we need to understand that we, who we are praying to. Who we are praying to. We live in a culture right now that tells us that... Uh, you can be praying to all kinds of things. And Jesus taught us to address our prayers to God. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, our Father. We're speaking to God. Listen, we do not pray to the universe. I know Christians who talk about the universe. We do not pray to our ancestors. Big Mama Nim is dead. Big Mama and them, depending on that walk with the Lord, Big Mama might be in heaven, but Big Mama ain't got no pool in heaven right now. We don't pray to our ancestors to whisper to Jesus to tell us, come on now. We don't pray to the Virgin Mary. We don't pray to dead saints. The Apostle Paul was awesome, but we don't pray to Paul. Paul has no power. We do not engage, and some of us, like, we'll act like this is prayer. We do not engage in the laws of attraction. You start speaking positive things and those things that need to come your way. You, be, you name it and claim it. You grab it and grab it. You do those things. We do not do those things. That is witchcraft. Now, I am not saying that positivity does not have power. Positivity does not change your mind about things. But I'm saying we do not just think positively and say, I'm just waiting for those positive things to come. We don't engage in crystals. We don't engage in soothsaying. We don't engage with fortune cookies. Um, horoscopes. We don't open ourselves up to praying to all these different things because that's not how God wired us. We don't invoke positive thoughts. We don't declare and decree. Hey, somebody talk to me. I declare and decree to this atmosphere that all these cars in front of me on I-35 will just part. Try it. <laughs> you be on I-35 45 minutes declaring and decreeing and then mad at God because you declared and decreed and it didn't work because he didn't give you no power to declare and decree nothing. I declare and decree right now that sick demon needs to come at you. First of all, it's not a sick demon. We'll talk a little bit about that today, too. We don't pray to angels or demons. We pray 
to God. First off, I see we're in the elementary phase. God is a person, not something. Now, when I say person, I'm not saying God is a person outside of the person of Jesus. I'm not saying that God is like, you know, two hands, two arms, two legs. Jesus had that, but not God. God is a person in that he has a personality. And our personhood really is based upon God's personhood. Our personhood is based upon God's personhood. And so why do you say God is a person? I'm saying it for the simple fact that he is a person that we need to encounter. We need to understand him. We need to be in fellowship with him. We need to submit to him. We need to learn to love him. We need to learn to enjoy him. But first, you got to meet him. First, you got to meet him. How can you be in a relationship with somebody you haven't met? You can be in proximity to them. You can know about them. You can even be connected to them in some sort of weird way. Like, who works at a big, large corporation in the room? Raise your hand if you work at a big co- co- corporation. Okay, people, people, people. Have you ever met the CEO? One, everybody's like, no, nah, that dude don't ever come around. Another person met him. Do you know him? Are you in a relationship with him other than him signing your checks? And I believe a lot of times it's just like we worked at Dale. Sue raised her hand. She works at Dale. Just because you work at Dale don't mean you have the benefits of being a worker of Michael Dale. And oftentimes as Christians, we believe just because we're Christians and we're not in relationship or proximity to God that we can just call on Jesus' name and he's just going to move when I say move. And it's like Jesus is like, dude. The Bible says in the last days, people are going to say, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do all this great church stuff in your name? You say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. So let's take off our spiritual mask and get to know God. But we need to understand that prayer is essential and prayer is central to our Christian walk. Can we do that today? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to expose anybody. But how many of us pray when things go wrong? But when things are going good, well, I don't really want to bother God. I don't really want to. I, I, I don't, I, I, like God, I just, you know, um, God. Mm, God, I understand I got these TP reports due. God, I understand I'm busy with school and stuff. Surely God will understand. And the challenge is that we do not have a kingdom-focused prayer life because we are going out to do the things daily that we want to do, and we're not thinking about God. God is an afterthought. Well, I'll pray to God when I get home this evening, when, I, when it's time for bed, and then you get in that nice warm bed and you're going to say a prayer. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody ever fell asleep on Jesus? Thank you, Trey. <laughs> Anybody ever go to pray the first thing in the morning and you just can't shake the sleep off of you? But if you're going for a new job interview, you hop up and you get out of that bed and you run in, you know, because you re- why is that? Because we haven't placed the proper, we haven't placed the proper priority on prayer. And instead of having an authentic relationship, We treat God like a distant relative. 
and we reach out to him in times of need instead of reaching out to him as our heavenly father. Like I said, the early church struggled with it as well. And now we're in James. James 5, 13 through 16 reads like this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. In the prayer of faith, he will be forgiven. Oh, in the prayer of faith, sorry, will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, this is a tricky section of Scripture. Because I believe that oftentimes throughout culture, throughout history, we have read things into this text that are not there. We have read things into this text that are out there. And for the sake of full transparency, I'm going to introduce something. I'm going to introduce a thought that I'm saying you go, you pray about it, and you, 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 you see if this aligns with your theology. I'm not trying to force this on you. This is secondary, even ter- tertiary things, and we don't really need, necessarily need to divide over it. But this is just the way that I see things. He says in verse 13, If anyone amongst you is suffering, let him pray. 90% of the hands will go up in the room right now if I said, raise your hand if you're going through something. Now, it doesn't have to be, again, we live in this globalized culture, this globalized society where we can look at kids in mud huts in Africa who are suffering, and we go, well, I'm not suffering like that. But suffering is relative to what's going on in your mind and how you're dealing with the stress of the thing. And God wants, God is not saying if you're suffering like kids in poverty or if you're suffering like someone with a disease or if you're suffering like someone who lost a loved one. He's not qualifying the suffering. He's just saying if you're suffering, if you're going through something, if you're experiencing loss, if you're experiencing loss of sleep, if you got knots in your stomach behind this thing, if you're suffering, he said, let him pray. Let him pray. Watch this. If you are cheerful, if ain't nothing going on, let them praise. So whether you got something going on right now or you got something that went on yesterday and you over it, either way, you're supposed to approach God and have a relationship and a fellowship with God. So if you're suffering, pray. If you're not suffering at this present moment, keep on living, baby. You're going to go through some things. You should be praising right now that you're not suffering. And God is telling us that I need you. I need your attention. No matter what your station in life, I need you. I need your focus right here. Right here. My daughter, uh, we were talking about Jubilee School a second ago. My daughter, she's working up there now, third grade teacher. And I hear some of the stories that come home about the attention deficit of a third grader. And as we become adults, I believe we get this perfect opportunity to see how God sees us as we try and wrangle little ones. 
right? My friend Donnie here, she used to teach kids how to do dance moves and stuff like that. And I used to watch some of the rehearsals. Thank God for you, Donnie. <laughs> it's not even that complex. Listen, listen, get your finger out your nose. You get your finger out your nose, you can get the dance move. Let's focus. Any parents in the room, you understand. And I believe God is in heaven as our father going, listen, I just need you to focus. Bruh, get your finger out your nose. (laughs) And it takes prayer and praise to center us. So prayer is designed for us to take our eyes off of ourselves and place them squarely on God. So if you're going through challenges, verse 13, pray. If you're cheerly, if you're, if you're cheerful, sing praises. Now, here's the thing that I think gets abused a lot. Is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you sick? Are you sick? Now, I'm going to add the conjecture here, and I'm going to say this, and I'm not trying to uh, 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 change the way that you think about Scripture because I think sickness is encompassed in this. But that word actually means weary and weak. And I believe physical sickness also comes into this category because when it's used in Scripture, 50% of the time, or maybe I don't know the exact numbers, but half the time is used as actual physical illness, and other times it's used as weakness. And sometimes when we are weak and we can't go through, you might as well be sick. And I think that applies to some of us that we're sick and tired of life. And when we get to that place, we lay down on God and we stop praying. We stop praying. And watch this. It says, if anyone among you is sick. Now, if you want to put physical sickness there, please do. I'm not saying that it shouldn't be there. If you want to put emotional sickness there, please do. I'm not saying that it shouldn't be there. All I'm saying, if you're sick. Let him call for the elders of the church. Wait a minute. Everybody else was supposed to be enacting with God. Why is this person here being asked to call on other people for prayer? Because they've slipped into, watch this, I believe they slipped into this area of prayerlessness. That I just can't pray about it. Have you ever tried to give anybody Christian counsel? And you say, well, we need to pray. I'm tired of praying. Don't tell me about no prayer. Fix it. Fix my situation. Fix my circumstance. I don't want to pray about it no more. I don't want to pray about it no more. But he says, you should go to the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Watch this. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I think this is also abuse. We just think we can get some, we can just get some, uh, some olive oil and pop it on somebody's head and they're going to be all right. I really tried to pop that big old forehead too. I tried to pop that big old forehead. Pow. We may be just rubbing just, 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 just oil on us. But what we don't understand that the oil of the day was medicinal as well. That's why the Bible says he anointed my head with oil. That's what, that, that's what shepherds would do with sheep. But also in the Jewish culture, what would happen is they wouldn't call a physician. Most people couldn't get, afford a physician. They would call the rabbi and he would show up with oils and it was medicinal. So I'm saying this to you. If you're sick, don't just put olive oil on yourself. Go to the doctor. You need to hear that. Because some folks are like, I ain't going to no doctor. I'm going to do what the scriptures say. I'm going to go to the elders. They're going to put some oil on me. I'm going to be okay. Your leg is missing. <laughs> you need medical help. <laughs> I 
And it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is also where it's abused. Every time you're sick does not mean that it's because of personal sin. Every time you're sick is not because of personal sin. You know, some people can just be real spooky Christians. You show up and, achoo, ooh, what you did. Mm-hmm. The Lord might smite you. You better repent. It's just allergies. Golly. Or if somebody's on their bed of affliction, well, all you got to do, all you got to do, according to the scripture, what they say, all you got to do is forgive the person in your life and you'll get up. You'll be raised up. You'll be healed. Don't do that. Don't do that. Now, I'm not saying that some sin is not because, I mean, not some sickness is not because of sin, because the scripture directly says that some of you, you have these things going on in your body because of the sin in your life, especially, especially, forgive me, sexual sin. He says every other sin you do outside of your body. But when you get involved in this sexual sin, you're sinning against your own body. And the scripture is clear, especially if you look towards the book of Corinthians. He's talking about all this sexual sin and all this stuff, and he's talking about the Lord's table. And he says, some of you are sick right now because you've been taking the Lord's table, and you ain't been right. You're acting like sin is just your friend. You're like pet sin, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You're pet sin. And God is trying to get us to a place. Well, we understand some things. And here's the, here, here's, here's the kicker. Here's a pinnacle of what we're going to Stringberg off today. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It says, the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of the person in right standing with God has great power as it is working. I like the King James on this one. He says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It sounds better to me. <laughs> the effectual and fervent prayer. And what the prayer, and what that means is you're praying with energy. Yeah. You're praying with your gusto. You're not just, now I lay me down to sleep. Well, what's going on in your life? Man, I, I, I found out that this is going on in my life, and it's very tragic. Okay, brother, I'm going to pray for you. Lord bless him. You okay now? It speaks to our theology when we say these patty cake prayers and expect God to move like, okay, like, 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 like I'm going to move based upon you just re- reciting rhetoric. Some of us pray like we say grace. Lord, bless this food to the nourishing of our body and the fellowship. It's awesome up here. Thank the people at Chili's for making these bonus buffalo wings. I love them, Lord. And we're only up here because Chick-fil-A is closed today. So I hope that's not sin in your sight, oh, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And God is like, okay, can you please just be real with me? Can you hurt when I hurt? Can you align your heart with minds? 
Can you just not say rote words just because you feel like you need to fill the air? Listen, sometimes your best prayer is under your breath in silence. And prayer has become a transaction to us. And I'm moving. So I put together a few steps. These are not five easy steps to your better prayer life. This is not a book that we find in the the power of a praying church or that's an actual book probably. I'm sorry for that. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to put this book together and say that you check off these things off your list and then you have a great prayer life. But I'm going to tell you right now a few things that I see in prayer that if we can engage in these activities, then God will, I believe that God will say that's fervent prayer right there. Amen. And I think in the, in, in the meanwhile, it'll open some doors in our understanding about prayer. First and foremost, effective prayers are based on relationship with Jesus. Effective prayer is based on relationship with Jesus. Listen, there is no willful sin involved when you have effectual fervent prayers. God is so concerned about your relationship to others, not only to him, but with your relationship with others. And when any of that stuff is out of alignment, that's what sin calls. Sin causes relationships to be out of alignment. If any of those relationships are out of alignment, God says, listen, I'm not accepting your prayers. You want me to put some scripture on it? He says, if you don't forgive your brother, how can you expect me to forgive you? And we saw just now that effective fervent prayer was contingent on being right with God. And so if you're not right with God, don't expect your prayers to be answered. Married people in the room. The Bible says that when you beefing with your spouse, y'all up in the house like bloods and crips. He said, when you're beefing with your spouse, don't expect me to hear your prayers. He said, get that right before you try to get this right. And the reason that we still try and go to pray with God sometimes is, look, it's a catch-22. You in there with the offender, <laughs> and you want to pray. So you go and you pray to God to get the offender right so that y'all can get right so that your prayers can be heard. And God's like, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Go humble yourself. Well, God, I don't think, what about Jesus? Well, what happened was, you know, Craig, and I was on the phone with Derek the other day, and Lord, go get it right. Because you can't be right. Listen, you cannot, listen, listen, you cannot be right with God if you can't be right with others. That's the line that God has drawn in the sand. You walking around here holy and, and hallelujah and, and all that kind of stuff, and you're not right with another person. God's like, I'm not listening to you. God literally goes, la, 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 la. And we wonder why our lives are all damaged. We wonder why. Sometimes we're praying, and it feels like our prayers don't get any higher than about this high. We're just praying and God's not hearing. It's like there's a roof. There's a cap. We're in a box. We're praying like Trey inside that cage over there with the drums, and can't nobody hear us. Can't nobody hear us. God's like, I'm not obligated to answer your prayer. Because I'm serious about you being right with people. 
I'm serious about you not walking. Listen, I'm not talking about those little sins. Okay, not like sins a little bit. Oh, Pastor said little sins. No, I'm not talking about little sins. I'm talking about you willfully know, like you premeditate the sin. You just, you just stiff-necked, and God is telling you to repent, and you're like, nope. Nope. Talk to the hand, God. I'm not doing it. And we wonder why we can't get no closer to God. And we wonder why our life is in shambles because God has said, watch this. Again, I tell you, prayer is complicated. God says, I chastise those I love. And so maybe the situation in your life right now is chastisement. And God's one, this is why I, don't, I love God, but this is what I don't like about God sometimes. God sends somebody else to beat you sometimes. Anybody ever had the mama that had the big brother beat you or the big sister? It's like, you tired today? He's going to hit me harder than you hit me because I stole this stuff yesterday. Anybody else? I mean, we just had an abusive home. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> My mama would send emissaries to beat. I'm tired. I'm not going to beat. Go get them. Right? Not that God, he allows things to come into our life to work towards us getting back in right standing with him. Now, everything that comes in your life is allowed by God. Y'all need to understand that. Everything that hits your life is allowed by God. Not that God causes it, but he allows it. But sometimes God sends a special messenger just for you because he loves you that much. And you've been praying, Lord, just show me how to be patient. Then he sent that new supervisor. Lord, I just need to learn how to love more deeply. And then that child started just acting up. He's allowing it. And he's wanting you to see him through it. He wants you to see that his hand of protection and his hedge of protection is all around you. And that's why we need to center ourselves in prayer daily. Daily. Secondarily, effectual fervent prayer is prayed in faith. It's prayed in faith. It's prayed in faith. James says it in the first part of James, verses 4 through 7. He talks about you shouldn't be expecting stuff from me if you don't expect it. I know we all, if anybody been in church any amount of time, we all heard the different variations of the town hall meeting about they've been praying for rain. Right? They've been praying for rain. They're praying for rain. They're praying for rain. And this little kid shows up in the middle of the town. You heard different variations of everybody. If you haven't heard, I'm going to tell you anyway. And he shows up in the middle of the town. They've been praying for for months for rain, and there ain't no rain coming. This one child comes in the middle of the town hall, and he begins to pray, God, open up the heavens and let it rain. Our community needs to rain, Lord. Crops are, are dying, and, and livestock needs to be watered, and, and, and we need you, God. And almost immediately, the sky turns dark. And clouds begin to roll in, and it began to rain. And some might ask, well, what was the difference in the child's prayer than everybody else's prayer? 
where the child showed up with an umbrella. The child showed up with expectation. That God, you're going to do it. Because you see the suffering around us. And he, the child showed up with kingdom purpose. And so we need to begin to pray our prayers with expectation and anticipation. And listen, you've heard this before. If you've been in church any amount of time, God can answer one of three ways. Yes. No. And hold on. Yes. No. And hold on. And the third one is the reason that we get into our space of prayerlessness. When God says, hold on, instead of continuing to pray until God does it, we stop. No is an invitation for you to stop. I said no. Okay. And I thank God that he put a no clause in our prayer life. If that was the case, we could pray, God, don't send Jesus back. And because of the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much and all of us. See, God has, God has clauses in his prayers as well. God is not obligated to answer any prayer that doesn't coincide with what is effectual and fervent. And that what is righteous and that does not align with his word. God does not have to show up in any of those prayers. If that was the case, I could say, man, this child's on my nerve. God, do something about her. And God would be obligated to do something about it if he had not put those safety mechanisms into his word. God, destroy my enemy. We be praying that. David prayed it. David prayed it often. Read the Psalms. God, I wish you would just tear their heads off their shoulders. But by the end of the psalm, David said, nevertheless, God, your will, like what, what you want to get done, like, like God, you're good, you're holy. And if I remain in this mess, God, you're still good. So we might have those emotional moments where we want to pray on people, but God's like, listen, it's not about them. Prayer is about you. It's about you. And so, too, it's prayed in faith. Amen. Number three, effectual fervent prayers are prayed with the right motives. In James 4, 3, it says that you don't have because you're asking wrongly. When you ask, you're asking with the wrong motives. You're asking to fill your belly. You're asking for that house so that you can live in a life of luxury. You're asking for the new car, and your car that you got right now is just fine. You just want to upgrade. You're asking with the wrong motives. And oftentimes we get mad at God because we're asking with the wrong motives. Even sometimes, listen to this, Darius, even sometimes we're asking, we're asking with the motive of God will get us out of the suffering. And God's like, I'm trying to perfect something inside of you while you're in the suffering. So the answer is, hold on. The answer is, hold on. The answer is allow that thing to work inside of you, the thing that I want to work out of you so that you will be better for it for my kingdom's sake. We playing checkers and God's playing chess. We want to just jump, 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 jump. And God's like, no, no, this is, this is a slow game. There's some things going on and you're not understanding some variable things about yourself that I got to work out of you. And so number three, 
we pray with the wrong motives. Number four, this is the final one. And Rosie said, amen. That's rude, Rosie. (laughs) Effective prayers are prayed in obedience to God. God went as far as, and we we didn't go here today, but in verses 17 to 18, he talks about Elijah being just a man. And Elijah prayed. I don't know if you know the story, but Elijah prayed as an ordinary man. I was an angel. Not as a, he, just, he was just a prophet, but he was an ordinary man. He prayed that the heavens would be shut up for three and a half years, and it was no rain in three and a half years. And then one day, Elijah showed back up and said, let it rain now. And it began to rain. And so why did God put that story in the midst of this? If you go back to 2 Kings, you'll see that there was this great story about God telling Elijah to go and tell the king that it would not rain. And so Elijah was just praying based upon what God said. And sometimes we just need some help jumpstarting our prayer life so that we can know the will of God, that we can pray the will of God. But we talked about it last week. Some of us are biblically illiterate. We don't know what the will of God is because we don't read the word of God. And so sometimes we just need to be praying the word. If you don't know what to pray, pray the word. What does the word say? What does the word say? And so we pray in obedience to what God has already said. And then when God, Elijah went back, because God told him to go back and say, I'm going to let it rain now. I'm going to let it rain now. And so God went back, and I mean, Elijah went back, and he prayed according to what God had already said. Why is that? That's what baffles some of us. Why is that that God would use us to come alongside him and we would pray and it would just work? That's the mystery to me. I don't know. I've read through the scripture. I don't know why God does it that way, but he does. I got some, I, I, I got, I got some thoughts on it. Because Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's something going on in heaven when God provokes us to speak to the earth. Because God is not limited by time or circumstance. This is a beautiful thing to me. God is not limited by our limitations. And God allows us to come alongside him and pray concerning the things that he's a limitless God. He can step into the situation. But he had already decided to step into the situation before we prayed. He said in the the book of Isaiah, he said, before you open your mouth to utter a thing, I heard your prayers and I answered. It's so some mysterious way. I can't describe it. I can't explain it, but I love it. God just wants us to pray according to his will, and his will will be done. And so I go back to the previous question. Does our prayer change God's will? No, God had already willed it to happen. But in order for it to happen in the earth, I don't know why. I don't know how. He's waiting for some of us to pray that thing into existence. I don't know why God does it that way. I was recently, and I'm closing. Again, I was recently reading this book by an author from the city of Austin. He's a pastor in the city of Austin. It's called Imagine Heaven. And some of you guys I've talked to lately, because I've, I've been really digging this book. And so, Arthur, good guy, great guy, met him on numerous occasions. And he used to be an engineer, and he used to be atheist, didn't believe in God. And so, he actually came into saving knowledge of Jesus because his father was dying and there was a book on a nightstand that was talking about near-death experiences and people reporting their near-death 
experiences. And so him being an engineer, he began to read these books. And what intrigued him about the book that he read before he wrote his book was the people who were reporting these instances were before these instances skeptical. They were neuroscientists. They were all these different things. They were just skeptical. They were cardio, what was what, cardio? Yeah, that's one of them, uh-huh. One of them cardiologists that do with hearts. And so they're working with people on the operating table, and they go out, and they got the, modern medicine has given them the opportunity to bring them back, and when they will come back, they will report these things. This dude's like, what? Y'all tripping. But he began to get a lot of these as people go out on the table. They were flatline. They were cold for minutes sometimes, and they will bring them back, and they will report these experiences. And so some of these experiences were reported by people who were also scientific and also understood some things about time and space continuum. And one thing that they would always say is they would say that I was so frustrated when I was trying to articulate the things that I saw on the other side, because I had no context down here to explain them. And I believe that Paul had a similar experience. He said, I was caught up in the third heaven. Whether I was in the body or not in the body, I don't know. But I saw things that I can't even utter. And so we need to allow God to be mysterious on the other side of the veil what we cannot see. Elijah had also had another experience. I'm really closing this time. He had this other experience where he sent his servant out to, 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 to take a look because there were these armies surrounding him. And he was nervous. He went back and told Elijah, man, they're going to come and get us. And he said, God, open his eyes so he can see. And it was like this veil was removed and he saw these hosts of angels all the way around him. He didn't transport them up into heaven. It was just around him. And I believe that God, God uses prayer to let us tap into this other realm that we do not see. We can't understand. We don't know much about it. And I want to be conjecturing to it. But God has given us power from heaven to infuse life here on earth. And when he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, God has given us the keys to his kingdom to allow his will to be done here on earth. But here's a challenge. We need to be praying his will. And so these two weeks, we need to, when we huddle up in our groups, we need to develop the desire to get in God's word and understand God's word so that we can know his will. Not his, he allows these things to happen. No, this is what God wants. There are certain things in life that God is going to do regardless if you help or not. God, like, like one thing is Jesus coming back. So you, listen, ain't nobody going to be able to stop that. You can pray all you want to. Ain't nobody going to be able to stop that. Now, it's up to you that if you think it's God's will for you to stand out on the floor of the coast when hurricanes are coming and pray for hurricanes to turn around. That's between you and Jesus. If you think that's his will, okay. And if the hurricane turned around, it might have been his will. I'm not going to argue with you. But if your food butt get blown to the other side of Florida, that's your fault. And so I'm not talking, and you know, when I talk in these matters, I don't talk uh, 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 so that, 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 that people will think that I'm just saying you go out and you just start just, just, just doing all the stuff that I tried so very eloquently not to get into earlier about naming and claiming, yabbing and blabbing and crystals and, and, and horoscopes and all this stuff and imposing our will on God. But when we understand God's will, our prayers become, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I get so mad when I hear people say, don't pray if it be thy will. Just pray. No, 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 no. You're not understanding some things. Because I understand some things about prayer. My prayers are only uh, a fervent when they're alignment with God's will. So I say, God, if it be your will, I'm speaking to the person. I'm speaking to heaven. I don't know what you're doing in this situation. But if it be your will, God, raise them up right now. If it be your will, God, do it. 
Our challenge is, and here's our last challenge to prayer, and I'm really closing this time. We want our way. And prayer exposes that we can't get our way. When we run out of all of our resources, when we run out of all the things that we are capable of doing, prayer makes us vulnerable. And we have to stand before the God of the universe and we have to ask him. We have to come begging for him to say, God, listen, this is what I really want. But (laughs) do your will, God. God, I know you know what's best for me, God. And, and, and this is a scary place that, you know, if, if I don't get healed of this thing, God, like, like you're in the middle of it. Like, God, if, if the spouse don't turn around and they still walk out the door, God, you're in the middle of it. God, if the child never stops using drugs, God, you're in the middle of it. And so, God, I just want you, I just want you to give me peace in the midst of whatever is happening that I can't control, that you're not leaning into. Because God does not, here's the hardest thing, God does not impose his will on our will. He still gives us a decision to love him or not. And that person might still walk away. And so as we reflect on this right now, I want you guys to just Think about your prayer life in the context of your relationship with God. Are there areas that need work? If if there is, confess them. If you feel like you're starting all over from square one, confess that. Listen, you're not going to hurt God's feelings because God knows. And if you're at the place right now where you feel like, listen, I can't pray for myself. I need help praying. As usual, we have people who are up here by these doors right now that are willing to pray with you concerning anything. Some of you might be asking, well, didn't it say the elders prayer? Listen, we have elders prayer on the first of every month, the first Sunday of every month. But I think this Sunday we'll hop over there as well. Prayer is your lifeline. Not just your lifeline to God, it's your lifeline. We need prayer like we need our next breath. And I just pray that God would open up our understanding to see the value of prayer. And so if you need prayer, receive prayer. If you need to just sit before God and repent, Sit before God and repent. But whatever you need to do in these next few moments to get it right with God, I strongly urge you to do so. Thank you for listening. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us at anycommunity.church.